Greetings, fellow Dungeon Masters. Welcome back to the Knights of Nerds podcast. This is Tim. I'm the Dungeon Master of the blah, blah, blah. You know how it goes. We are back with another campaign planning episode, and I feel like this is long overdue because the last one that I did was in November. So it's been about, yeah, seven months. Not ideal, but uh, you know what? What are you going to do? Honestly, though, I will try to do, make uh, a better effort to do these a little bit more uh, regularly. Okay, so if you haven't listened to one of these before, what I'm going to do is talk about some stuff that's recently happened in some of the episodes that have come out, and then also what I'm planning for the next leg of the adventure, which may or may not come to pass. I mean, there will be a next leg of the adventure, but what I plan or predict will happen is it's all dependent on the players. So if they, if I plan for a zig and they zag, um, everything that I record today in that respect may be kind of just wishful thinking. So uh, fair warning. I mean, if you're not caught up on the Gazai campaign and you don't want to know what I have in store, skip over this episode, come back to it later, you know, maybe once the campaign's over and see just how wrong I am. But yeah, spoilers ahead. Still with me? Okay, let's do this. Yeah, so the last campaign planning episode was November. It was right around episode 15 and 16 in between there. God's Eye had just fallen in Stonegate. The party had had just met the Arcane Acolytes and did a little bit of casual divination. They began their ascent up the Tour of Your Mountains because they were very certain that God's Eye was going to fall there. And that's the next stop they had to make. And they met up with Bryce Baylock, Thaddeus's nemesis, um, who made a pitch to them that they team up. So let's talk about a couple things that have happened in there. So first, I enjoy, I really enjoyed uh, some of the character moments that Chai and Thaddeus had um, right before they started the ascent. Matt chose to reveal that Thaddeus was a father and lost a son, and... That's kind of the linchpin of his vengefulness against Bryce. Um, not that Bryce was directly responsible, but certainly helped. Uh, let's talk about encounters for a minute. So there's a couple of encounters. One, the party was ambushed by some of Bryce's men. Um, really wasn't supposed to be a super challenging encounter, but thanks to the humans not having dark sight. The ambushers got off some long-range attacks on Thaddeus. You know, hit him pretty hard uh, and forced him to use up basically, I think, his entire pool of lay on hands hit points. Um, Again, it wasn't supposed to be super challenging. I felt like it could have been a little bit more interesting. Um, I think maybe the use of nets or uh, there was a lit fire. Like there was sort of like this um, signal fire that was going on. So maybe that could have been incorporated uh somehow uh maybe there was uh if if one person in that group was like a you know like a low level spellcaster could have used that fire to maybe turn it into like some kind of fire elemental again not to be super challenging just to make it more interesting or give one or two of those people um the ambushers some nets and then maybe like start dragging one or more of the party members like towards the edge of the cliff because they were right on a cliff. Yeah, and then there's that moment where Thaddeus killed 
an enemy who surrendered, which I feel like is something that is going to have to be punished at some point. So I kind of let it go in the moment because I was pretty surprised, but I feel like I want to go back to this. I'm just looking up Tritherion. So Thaddeus's deity is Tritherion. Let me read a little bit about Tritherion. Even though it's from Greyhawk, we're not playing Greyhawk, but who cares? God of individuality, liberty, retribution, and self-defense. His holy symbol is the Rune of Pursuit, which resembles the Triskelion, a three-armed filfot. I don't know what that means, but anyways. God of retribution. But really, like, to what extent? To what extent does this god, like, extend his power? And... Retribution under what circumstances? Now, this is nothing that I've really discussed with Matt, but I feel like if this god is okay with what he did, then in what sense is Thaddeus good? He would be more neutral. Now, in what sense does does this matter? Like, in in game? Um, I don't know. Not really much. It might matter if there are, let's say, magical weapons that they come across that need to be wielded by somebody who's good. Okay, relationships. I'm, I'm on this um, D&D wiki. Tritherion is a foe of evil and oppression. His love of freedom sometimes causes him to come into conflict with other good deities. Oh, here we go. Dogma. All deserve life and the ability to choose their own place in the world, and those who would place others in shackles or control them with oppressive laws must be toppled. Train the common folk to defend themselves and their property should another wish to take their freedoms. If you are wronged, you have the right to exact vengeance yourself, especially if none will help you. Yeah, I feel like we're in a real gray area here with with uh, Thaddeus. But one more like incident like that where he's basically trying to say, I said you could leave the cave, I didn't say you could leave alive, you know, sort of bullshit. And there's going to be some instances where he goes to use his smite. And you know what? Nothing happens. His holy symbol, which is his um, false eye, like cracks. Um, And that's going to be Tritherion saying, you know what? You're pushing the boundaries of what just retribution actually is. And I feel like what I want to keep in my back pocket for this is... In the eventuality that Thaddeus kills Bryce, which we're going to talk about a bit later because some big shit happened with that, that um, his oath is fulfilled and he no longer has any powers. If Thaddeus does kill Bryce, it will mean that he has really gone back on his word in some capacity. So we'll circle back to that in a little bit. Uh, What else happened? There was an encounter with a wyvern, which I thought was fun. Uh, Could have been better, I think, what I would have preferred to have done once Chai was knocked unconscious, is just to have it carry her off. Uh, that would have been that would have been fun. And you know what? The scaling of the wall was a fun way to have them fighting. It's like they're not necessarily separated, but they're certainly not together. Having them have to think vertically for part of that encounter was good. And something that I was wondering to myself. And you can kind of hear it in in that one uh, episode. I can't remember which one precisely it is. But the wyvern doing a tail attack 
Like its reach is 10 feet. Chai's reach is not 10 feet. Does Chai get an attack of opportunity if the Wyvern is just doing like a flyby? Well, I think she does. Like I've been, I was kind of going back and forth on this point because if you have a weapon with reach and you basically run past somebody who doesn't have a weapon with reach, like as part of your movement, you can make an attack on somebody and then just keep going. If you're 10 feet away with your reach weapon, you don't come into their area of where they can attack you. So if I'm carrying like a spear or a halberd, whatever it happens to be, I move 30 feet somewhere along that line. I come within 10 feet of of an enemy. I attack. They don't have a 10 weapon. They can't attack me back. Therefore, no attack of opportunity as I continue to move on, right? With the wyvern, it's different. It's like they're not attacking with a spear. They're attacking with part of their body. And so their body must enter the reach of that creature that it's attacking. And therefore, when they move away, there's the opportunity. So I feel like that makes sense. If I wanted to be mean, I could have said otherwise. But uh, yeah. Okay, and what came after? What came after that is that Thaddeus got fucked by a gigantic boulder that was thrown by a giant. And the party was, I don't want to say forced into a cave. They chose to go into that cave They could have stayed outside if they wanted to. I didn't make them go into that cave. The giants compelled them to go in. So we have a couple of dilemmas. The first dilemma is Bryce is saying, hey, we're stuck at this impasse. We can't get past these giants. They're too strong. But maybe together, the bunch of us can team up and together we can defeat the giants. Uh, So I thought Thaddeus would for sure have killed Bryce in this moment, but... He got uh, pulverized. I guess he could have attacked him like, uh, you know, after the long rest and after he had healed and everything. But uh, he gave his word. He stuck to his word grudgingly. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a nice kind of moment. I really like shows and movies. Well, any story where uh, people are forced to work together. People who are typically enemies or don't like each other. Like, there's conflict in the cooperation. Um, I I enjoy those. Now, if they had decided to kill Bryce, like, that would have really fundamentally altered how the rest of the story kind of plays out. And I'll get back to that. So if they did decide to kill Bryce, aside from these changes that I'm going to discuss, uh, they would have had to fight the giants on their own. Not necessarily fight, but they could have uh, basically tried to do like a stealth run past them, which may not have worked out super well for them. But they would have gone into this sort of mountain range and uh, and had to deal with some illusions, uh, basically try to find their way through a maze. And I think that would have really, I think they would have spent some time in there and really have had to have been creative. I mean, frankly... I didn't have much prepared for that. I was I was ready for them to do it, but I didn't think that they would. I was ready to basically let them wander in this maze until they figured out something clever enough. <laughs> I think when I was would have said, "Okay, yeah, you know what? That's a good enough idea." Um, because realistically, none of them are familiar with that terrain. People have been trying to get through it for years and have failed, and so like, what makes them better equipped? to to do that 
uh, they really would have had to have used as many of their resources as they could. And one or more of the giants probably would have like followed them in after a certain period of time. And so there would have been that added danger of this game of cat and mouse through these this ever-changing landscape. It would have been really fun now that I think about it. But that didn't happen. They ended up fighting the giants. And how did that encounter go? You know what? I thought it was okay. I thought it could have been better, as is kind of my catchphrase for everything that I do with this podcast is, you know what? Could have been better. So I think what I would have done is maybe tone down the giants a little bit so that there could have been one more of them. Maybe like have one magic magic using giant and then two melee giants with like a lower hit point pool. But then maybe also just to make it a little bit more tactical in terms of how they approached it, just say, you know what? The magic using giant, he's the leader. Kill him, make him flee. The others will follow. But it would be, you know, hard to get past the other two. Or maybe I could have just like lowered the hit point pool on the melee giant and then also given them a pet. Uh, just to make the encounter like a little bit more dynamic. Like um, maybe one or two giant like saber-toothed tigers. Well, I shouldn't say giant because I think those are large beasts anyways. And like those saber-toothed tigers, like they, they're they not much of a challenge. But they would just give it like a little bit of extra flavor, right? You know? Okay, now it's time to talk about that revelation. The big revelation in episode 25 where Bryce spills the beans on what's happening. The party learns that Bryce wants to work against his master. He's no longer interested in being in power if it means that the world is going to... Again, spoilers! Big time spoilers! He's no longer interested in having power if it means that the world is going to be made into this just a gigantic tomb filled with the undead. So... You know what? Maybe it sounded good when it was being whispered in his ear from afar that he would be like the have minions to his content. Um, and I, I kind of hoped that I conveyed that he was really somewhat disgusted by the ghouls and ghasts that he had under his control. He doesn't want that to be the entire world. So he's he's ready to defect and he needs the party's help to do it. He tells them that. He tells them that they are in some kind of a dream, which they don't ask about, surprisingly. And they learn that the the master, Bryce's master, is something called a beholder, which they don't know what that is. So in terms of in terms of how this was conveyed, again, could have been better. I think the reaction was good. And they only learned about this because they made a concession. They made that concession for Bryce. They agreed to work with him. Thaddeus went along with killing the Eladrin when he was told to. And it presents the... It sets the stage for an interesting confrontation. Fighting a boss monster alongside your enemy. Now, if Thaddeus had killed Bryce, they wouldn't have learned any of that. They still wouldn't know what the heck's going on. And Bryce would have really no choice but to live with the decisions that he's made. 
And by that, I mean, he would be stuck in his service to the beholder because he would have known that he could not trust Thaddeus. If Thaddeus killed him, basically, you know, after their agreement, he would have known, I can't trust him. And so he wouldn't have made that revelation and made the offer, I'll fight alongside if I, and if I get out of this alive, I'll give you this magical mace, this weapon, this artifact that contains the restless souls of those that it kills. And Thaddeus has an interest in breaking one of those souls free. Okay, so what could have been better about this? So I feel like this is similar to the previous twist in the first campaign. And the way that this information is delivered is simply by an NPC delivering the information by way of exposition. And also in both cases, at least one of the player characters knew what the creature was, like knew what the boss monster was before the NPC actually made that revelation. I don't think it's bad. It's kind of not as impactful, at least to me, as the twist in campaign one was. And I realized I kind of wrote myself into this corner because I set up the lore in such a way that it basically had to be revealed by an NPC. Now, what's the alternative? Um, In this world, the Beholder is nothing that anyone knows about, except maybe one NPC who has yet to be introduced. So they, they wouldn't be able to discover this information on their own. Now, like, I guess in terms of like an alternative... What is What does it mean? What does it look like for them to discover the information on their own? Does any of the characters have like a wide knowledge of monsters? Do they go to a library? Do they find like ancient tomes that describe this creature? That's kind of the same thing almost as an NPC telling them. But instead of an NPC, it's a book. So I don't think it was necessarily bad because Sarah was convinced, has been convinced for a couple months that there's a beholder involved in some capacity. So I don't think it was bad to to reveal it this way. Like I said, similar to campaign one, but not as not as impactful because the, the method of execution was very much the same. And also in campaign one, and again, spoilers for campaign one a little bit if you haven't listened to it, but I had planned out better some bread, like breadcrumbs, some clues and foreshadowing about something that they would discover on their own, like conclusions that they'd come to on their own, both as players and as characters. And that was, they can't trust Elwyn or something's up with El- Elwyn and maybe they can't trust him, but he's not himself. So there's a big question mark there. There's all these little hints now, I didn't really give those hints to the characters in this way, in this campaign, in the same way that they could have realized anything about this situation that they're in. The dream keeps resetting, and they're aware of that, but they're not aware of, of why or how. They didn't clue into the fact that, hey, every time somebody picks up God's eye, something happens. I could have made the... I guess the God's eye fall in such a way that they knew like, hey, once all of it's been claimed, depending on who claims it, then the dream resets. 
or or whatever, like things change. So I could have structured it differently so that they could have at least figured out something. Hey, you know what? This mine that we were in in episode one, it's no longer there. Is there a reason it's no longer there? Is like everyone's knowledge of it just gone? Are people like hostile towards it? Like giving them clues as to what the importance of a location is so that, you know, down the road, they'll think, oh, well, that's definitely where the beholder actually is. It's just concealed itself in such a way that nobody knows where it is. People forget that there was a mine there. It's all concealed. You know, maybe if they had something um, with true sight, they could at least see it. You know, villagers saying, oh, you know, I was going and picking flowers or some shit up there. And all of a sudden there was just some person walking. I didn't, there's no path. They just popped out of nowhere. And it was like, maybe it's one of the Aladrin coming out of the lair. So hints like that. I haven't done any of that. In hindsight, yeah, I definitely would have structured it a bit differently so that they could have compiled the clues into something useful and felt like they had figured something out on their own instead of it just being handed to them. So, aside from that, I think making the Beholder noble in the existing world would have been good, but, like, noble but very obscure. Maybe a bunch of false names that people attribute um, to the wrong entity. Like, for example, the Queen of the Grey Ladron. Uh, let's just say that she's called uh, the Dark Lord. Right? Super original name, I know. But ages, ages ago, that same name was given to a different entity. In this case, a beholder. And over time, one legend kind of gets forgotten. And another one takes its place. And so it would be interesting to, you know, have that kind of a twist where the the parties reading all these tomes about like the Dark Lord. They think it's the Eladrin Queen of Shadows, but like the descriptions don't match anything about her. So they're like, what is this? And like I said, I think letting them piece together clues of the dream aspect, figuring out a conclusion on their own, like maybe to have some kind of, and I've said this before, maybe to have some kind of consistent NPCs that remain stable, if you want to call it that, um, across the various iterations of reality, kind of like planeswalkers or something uh, where they they retain knowledge, like their own knowledge, and they're not really impacted in the same way as the Beholder's powers as everybody else, so that they're, they're aware, that they remember previous dreams, just like the players do, just like the antagonists do. That would have given like a little bit more of a resource for the players to rely on. And to have some consistent NPCs, which is something that I said, I think, in the last episode, where I was kind of bemoaning the the fact that this whole dream resetting thing really makes it difficult to have like relationships with NPCs, like uh for the players to to forge like friendships and alliances with NPCs when they just keep forgetting them all the fucking time. Yeah. Anyways, not to say necessarily that a planeswalker would be good or on their side, but you know, maybe working towards their own aims and 
Maybe they're using the party. Who knows? All of this, you know what? If I was better prepared, if I had thought through the consequences of my own actions, maybe I would have introduced them earlier. But you know what? Hmm. Maybe the quiet can fill that gap. I'm just realizing it's not anywhere in my notes. Just thought that popped into my head. You just heard an actual realization in real time. Um, yeah, maybe the quiet retain all those memories. But yeah, the uh, question is, they communicate with each other telepathically, but can they communicate telepathically with others? Let me know what you think. Yeah. But maybe these planeswalkers, maybe they're not even necessarily planeswalkers, but like another faction from the Feywild, kind of neutral, not part of the courts, not connected to the Queen of Shadows, but they're their sort of own thing. And maybe being from the Feywild, they'd have a connection to a tenuous connection to Chai and Gutterbird. Okay, yeah, so that's my thoughts on how things have been going recently. So what's coming next? For the time being, um, like in the immediate future, I know that they're going into this underground Dwarven Keep. I've probably said that a bunch of times in the Facebook group and in the Discord uh, behind the screens chat channel. Uh, so this is like the last fetch quest. And they're going to go into the bowels of this keep, go underground. There's going to be some weird stuff in there. It's going to be random tentacles, you know, offshoots of the God's Eye. Uh, I really want to stick with the Aberrations theme because the last God's Eye that came down into Stonegate was basically depositing uh, gibbering mouthers and... Is it gibbering or gibbering? I don't know. Gibbering sounds better. And Starspawn grew, and other aberrations. Death Kiss was one. Um, what was the other one? Was it a Chul? Yeah. Anyways, kind of wanted to stick with the theme of weird alien stuff. So there's going to be some random tentacles, and there's going to be some lore. Like the dwarves, kind of want them to be important, and I don't want this just to be like a random environment that they go into. But like this keep was sealed off. The dwarves knew how to use magic without God's eye, which is kind of a big deal. They would do like interplanar travel, but as happens, their reach exceeded their grasp and a little bit of hubris. And you know what? They were in over their heads. All their magic-y dealings were attracting all the wrong kinds of attention. And it got to the point where the dwarven king, Amarthane, had to basically wish for the keep to be not just the keep but the secrets within it to be sealed off from the rest of the world and basically that trapped all the dwarves within and they died slowly so the party will learn that magic without god's eye is possible um i wish i had thought of introducing the ghost of amarthane sooner because like the party has already gone into this keep and I didn't, at the outset, have the idea of a powerful ghost who is stuck there to make sure that nobody takes off with his books that basically tell you how to do magic, the ABCs of magic. But they're going to encounter Amarthane, and I, I had kind of wished that like this whole thing had been like a ghost fun house. That would have been so cool, but it will, it will be at one point, like they're going to run into this ghost, he will have a shield guardian, 
I don't want to have like bots everywhere. And you know what? So many people gave me awesome suggestion in the uh, in Discord and Facebook on like what to incorporate with this ghost. Like a lot of traps that he can reset, automatons, his own undead, which you know may still happen. I there's dwarven skeletons everywhere, so that might uh, that might still come to pass. I had just yeah, I really wish that I had had this idea before we had actually recorded like the players making their point of entry because I didn't foreshadow it enough. And by the time that I'm recording this, it's, you know, there's, there's time to introduce the ghost, but not enough to really sort of backtrack. Um, they had already made some progress into the keep. And then I was like, Oh yeah, you know what? A ghost would be great. Yeah. And like I said before, this is the last of the fetch quests. We're at episode 25. It's going to be episode probably 30 or 31 or 32 by the time that they are done this last little quest. And that puts us basically like at the halfway mark. If this campaign is as long as campaign one, then we are at the halfway point. So things need to change away from the formula that I've been using. And I, again, said this a few months ago in the last one, like I don't want to keep doing this same cycle because it's 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 not moving the story along in the appropriate ways. So um, what I wanted to do, here's some ideas that I had. I wanted to put the players into, like back into the dream environment from episode two. Basically, apocalypse has happened, the beholder won, the players had died, most people died, most people are undead. (laughs) And I kind of wanted to put them in that scenario of like being in that battle where they died and, and giving them the opportunity to talk to NPCs in that moment so that they would be able to get some information and take it with them. Things like, where was the Beholder hiding? Uh, What are its weaknesses? What are its strengths? How do we approach this? How many allies does it have? But then I'm wondering, like, is that really necessary? Can't they get that information from somewhere else or someone else? Um, Something that my pal Ryan had suggested was, that the next dream, you know what? A bunch of gods I already fell, and the world is at conflict in all sorts of ways. It's already been claimed. People are fighting over it. And that means that they don't have to wait for it to fall. They need to make a decision um, on how they need to approach this problem. So... If it's all over the place and there's conflict everywhere, then it's going to be extremely difficult for them to track it down. It won't be as difficult for the the Eladrin to track it down. Obviously, they have they have help, like the Beholder, still hibernating, can still provide them guidance and direct them as to where to go and perhaps direct other people away from it. So short of tracking the Grey Eladrin all the time, which is... I guess it's a conceivable route, although if they split up, then like, that's it. I'm going to have to reiterate to them 
that the their their goal is to equip themselves to the point where they can fight this beholder. Now, they're going to have to do that before the Grey Ladron get a hold of enough additional pieces of God's Eye to wake it up. So that is the ticking clock. Now, if you know how to actually keep track of a ticking clock, please let me know. You know what? I'll Google it. But also, if you've done it before and you have any suggestions, let me know. There are two places in the world that the characters will know about where they can go to get readily made magic weapons and items that will properly empower them to enter this beholder's lair. Uh, One place is the Land of Kings. So this is a place on a map that I made that map like uh, a while ago, a year ago, something like that, more than a year ago. And it is a lawless, I don't even want to call it a state. It's a lawless place filled with petty warlords who are situated around the ruins of the old world throne. So the old king had all sorts of power that he had accumulated, and there was some kind of magical cataclysm. No one really knows who caused it, except for me, wink, wink. And the people around there gather in these warring groups. They're plundering the ruins, always looking for new power. They're at war with themselves. Sorry, not with themselves, really. They're at war with each other, um, trying to obtain each other's magical weapons and powers to, you know, eventually become whatever, you know, king of the ash heap, king of the ruins, whatever you want to call it. So the party could willingly enter that hellscape and take on a bunch of different factions, which I'm sure would go super well. The other place that has a multitude of magic items just sitting around, ready to go, is the Feywild. So... That was part of disarmament during, like, when the uh, when the Fey brokered peace between all the human factions. They're like, you can't be trusted with all this power. You're you're going to end up destroying yourselves. So you need to entrust it to us, so that no one is equipped with the power to, you know, topple kingdoms. I feel like the Fey Wild is going to be the obvious choice because. I think they've been wanting to go there for a while. I've wanted them to go there for a while. I've been prepared for them to go there for a while. Sort of. Mostly prepared. And Chai has an in to the inner workings of the court. The prince, an important NPC in her backstory, who we haven't met or talked about. Now, I did a really great uh, chat with one of our patrons named Al, who said that, you know what, hey, maybe the prince is up to some shit. And I was like, I hadn't even thought of that. But it's a great idea. A betrayal is a great idea. Not even a betrayal, but just a hidden motive. The Feywild has been at peace with itself, with, you know, the human realm. Yeah, what does this prince want? Um, If he was direct, like, why would he be giving information to the Grey Ladron? You know what, the Grey Ladron have been sort of cordoned off in this in this dark zone, cordoned off with their queen of shadows. And the prince, you know what? Maybe he's a little bit bored of peace. He's not getting anywhere higher. He can't really earn esteem or glory. 
because the Feywild all like when everyone is virtually immortal, the social standings are largely immutable. Sure, you know what the the houses in the lower courts they'll see more movement, but like in the upper echelons of the Feywild hierarchy, things move at a glacial pace if they move at all. So he wants to stir things up. He wants to create a threat that he then solves. You know, that old chestnut. Just imagine that he's done that. He's released the Grey Ladron to stir shit up. They go and they help summon this space demon. This guy's like in over his head. He's panicking. He needs to find a solution to this problem fast. In comes the party. Hey, we've been dealing with this crazy 11-eyed space demon and its minions we need we need your help to go kill it and he says yes this solves my problem i get to correct the mistake that i've made you know releasing some of the gray aladrin was like one thing but having them go and do this he couldn't have seen that coming and would not be uh feeling very good about his choices knowing that he may be responsible for the destruction of all of humanity and also probably the Feywild if that thing uh, gets woken up. So in comes the party. Here's the solution. He gets to kill the Grey Aladrin. He gets to kill the Beholder. He gets the glory and none of the blame. And his plan works out perfectly. And of course, yeah, he, he could say, yeah, you know what? I'll help you steal magic weapons from this Feywild vault. That's going to be a fun little venture. You know what? A little heist? A little mid-campaign heist? Just the kind that Candace would have loved? Yeah. Or if I can make a small adjustment to that, the prince having access to some fairly substantial magical powers has agents and magic uh, abilities to watch over the party maybe their little locket like that they got from bryce's minions that protects them from the beholder maybe that messes with them a little bit but he can sort of keep tabs on them from afar he's got agents who are you know watching them here and there he knows that they're coming and he's and he sets the stage he gets chai's mentor basil the druid the prince tells Basil, I have to go into this, into the borderlands to find out what's going on with the Grey Ladron. He goes off and he knows that the party is coming and he wants to basically make sure that Chai comes after him. And so he's going to put himself in danger, you know, quote unquote danger. So that Chai freaks out. Basil will, of course, be very protective of Chai and not want them to go into that area unless they are equipped to handle the dangers that are inherent there. So Basil's going to say, you know what? I'll help you. We need to heist the shit out of this vault, get some items, and then we'll go and save the prince because... He did this thing recklessly. I tried to stop him, but you know what? So the prince is basically like manipulating people into action. Um, they're going to come charging into this, you know, the the borderlands, the shadow zone, whatever you want to call it. And they fight the Grey Ladron and they fight the Shadow Queen. Now, at some point in all that, I have to work in basically two dilemmas at the same time, which is 
a dilemma for me. Whoa, hidden third dilemma is that I need to reveal that, yeah, you know, the existing queen of the summer court has done some pretty reprehensible stuff. Need to reveal that the prince that Chai is in love with is responsible for releasing the Grey Ladron from their magical prison zone. And then Gutterbird's patron needs to make a play for the Obsidian Stone, which is basically the source of a lot of the Queen of Shadows' power, but also the source of her evil. Gutterbird's going to find out that, you know what? He used to hang out in this in this zone for quite some time, and it's going to become apparent once they get there that, you know what? Time passes much, much more slowly here than it does everywhere else. Like you could spend 30, 40, 100 years here, and you might only age one year. Kind of like, a, you know, being in an Inception dream. There's a sequence of events that I have to figure out there. Um, I would really like for for that revelation about the prince's duplicity to become apparent before they go into the final battle. The way that it could really get interesting here is if is if the prince gets them to agree to a favor, basically to owe him something which is the fundamental basis of power dynamics in the Feywild. You know, like, I will do something for you, and in exchange, you agree to, to return the favor at some point in the future in a, in a commensurate manner. And if you fail to make good on your, on your promise, then bad stuff happens. Like, the prince could uh, manufacture an ambush on the party, and then save them and say, I, I will, you know, I've saved your life and, uh, I'd like you to, you know, would you, would you do the same for me? Oh, sure we would. Okay, great. I feel like they're going to have to be given like plenty of heads up by Chai. Chai, knowing that this type of, um, trap making verbal traps, uh, is how the Feywild functions. It's almost like a form of currency, um, would really be aware that she would have to warn Thaddeus and Gutterbird that you have to be very careful what you say, and which is going to be a problem for Thaddeus because he won't shut up. Anyway, so those that's my thoughts for what's coming up. Um, so they get this god's eye. They are into a world that is in conflict. They go to the Feywild. Once in the Feywild, they go to the Shadow Zone. Honestly, it sounds like a laser tag park, the more I say it, Shadow Zone. Anyways, they deal with the Queen of Shadows, and then once they're, once they're done there, then they come back into the Mortal Plane, Beholder Fight Time. And that's probably, in a wide arc, Like that's probably the rest of the campaign, honestly. In broad strokes, like obviously, like the finer details are to be more complicated because, as I said, I got to work out the sequence of events um, more coherently. But that's that's my broad intention. Yeah, let me know what you think. And I just want to say again, um, thank you for all your feedback 
and your suggestions whenever I post in uh, Discord or on Facebook. Uh, I really do, and this probably doesn't come across very well because I suck at engaging with people online. Uh, I really am super grateful for everyone's input and your ideas and your creativity. Um, it really makes me feel less stressed out about trying to do this podcast when I know that if I'm stumped, I have a, a wealth of people who are more creative than me that I can go to to sort of kickstart the thought process again. So thank you. Let me know your thoughts about anything that I've said here, and we will we will do another one of these hopefully sooner rather than later.